Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 79 of the podcast. Over the past few episodes, we've been looking at the issue of the sound of good writing. And in this episode, I want to give a quick overview of everything that we've covered, focusing on the most important practical lessons that I think come out of looking at this dimension of creative writing. But first of all, a quick update on our crowdfunding campaign to support the publication of the Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook. For those of you who don't know, this is a project I've started to take the very best of all of the episodes of the podcast and put them into a single book that I can put into the hands of every writer. Now, after one week, I'm delighted to say that we are just over halfway to our target of £1,000. I'm so grateful to all of you who have donated and very excited, not just for the campaign, but for the handbook, which I think will help so many people to be better writers and produce great work. If you'd like to find out more or you're thinking of making a contribution, just go to Indiegogo.com and look up the Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook and decide what you want to pledge. If it's a couple of dollars or a pound or whatever, that's great. I'm really grateful for whatever we can get. And I can't wait to get started on making the handbook the very best that it can be with your help. So that link again is Indiegogo.com and just look up the Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook. So back to this episode, which is a roundup of what we've been talking about in connection with the sound of writing over the past two or three months. And first of all, I want to give you some definitions of what I mean when I start talking about the sound of good writing. If you think of a book that you've read and enjoyed, and it could be Harry Potter or Pride and Prejudice or The Hobbit or whatever it is. Now, imagine the voice of that book, the way the story is told but applied to a simple nursery rhyme or a favourite folktale. Whatever carries across from one story to another, that voice, that style, the pace and the flavour of it, that is the sound of the writing. Let me give you a more concrete example. Think of the story of Cinderella. Now imagine how John Steinbeck, for example, might tell that tale with his direct spare prose. Or perhaps a hard-boiled detective writer like Raymond Chandler. Can you imagine a Raymond Chandler version of Cinderella? Now, if that doesn't work for you, how about Jane Austen presenting the story of Cinderella? She could probably have used the same first line in a story about Cinderella as she used for Pride and Prejudice. After all, the prince was indeed a single man in possession of a good fortune. Or how about Tolkien? Can you imagine what his treatment of Cinderella would be like? Can you imagine the majesty of the palace, the heroic overtones of Cinderella's desperate journey home as the clock passes midnight? And of course, J.K. Rowling could have given us a wonderful interpretation of the story of Cinderella with rich and vibrant settings. Maybe she would have had Cinderella living in a cupboard under the stairs in the early part of that story. Now, the point of all this is to show you that writers who have a great sense of voice and who know how to make writing sound good can bring that unique style and flavour to pretty much any story. Now, it turns out that the uniqueness of vision that each great writer brings to their work is actually a mixture of a lot of elements like language and rhythm and tempo, style, sentence construction, choice of words, and that most elusive of all qualities, the writer's voice. So there's a combination of factors that come together to create the sound of a piece of writing. And this can spawn a couple of questions in our minds. First of all, is the sound of writing really that important? Before we get stuck into too much of this, is it really that critical? And the second question is, if it is important, how can we make our writing sound better? How can we make it sound really good? 
And before I answer those questions, I have to tell you that these issues about the sound of writing are central to the success of our work. Now, let me say this again in a slightly different way, because it's easy for us all to become immune to these superlatives and claims that that you hear. What I'm saying to you, fellow writers, is that this issue of how your writing sounds is central to the success of what you do. In fact, of all the dimensions that we talk about, storyline and character and setting, and when we come on to theme, this issue of the sound of writing is probably the most important dimension of all. And I'll tell you why. The editor Lee Harris once said to me in an interview that when he reads a new piece of fiction, the most important thing that he's looking for is the voice of the author. More than plot or character or setting or any of that, it's the voice. And here are three very compelling reasons why I think he's right. First, writing that sounds good will enrich and enhance every other dimension of the work. The characters will be more realistic and lifelike. The setting will be more vivid and absorbing. The storyline will be more engrossing. The writer Joe Story once told me that you could make any story interesting if you were just to tell it right. And I think he's correct. That is the power of the sound of writing. The second compelling reason why this is so important is because writing that sounds good keeps the reader engaged. Writing that sounds poor, by contrast, loses the reader. And it doesn't matter how brilliant your work is in terms of theme and plot and character and all the rest of it. If the reader doesn't like what they're reading, then you'll lose them. And finally, if the quality of the writing is good, then your reader will really enjoy that process of reading your work. Now, it's easy to underestimate this aspect of the process of reading. Saul Stein, in his book, Solutions for Writing, says right at the beginning that the main aim of the writer is, and I quote, to provide the reader with an experience that is superior to the experiences that they encounter in everyday life. The reader must enjoy what they're reading. They must enjoy the process of reading. As readers, we want to be entertained. We love it. Also, we want to be educated, although many of us wouldn't admit that. We want to be taught well and with a sense of wonder, and we want to learn. And a delighted reader, a reader who takes real pleasure in reading your work, will not only more likely come back and read something else you've written, but they'll also recommend your work to other people. And in a world with a million marketing channels, word of mouth and personal recommendation is still king. So given the importance of the sound of writing, In true creative writer's tool belt practical style, what are the things that we can do practically to improve the sound of our writing? Well, here are all the lessons I think we've learned from the past few episodes. First of all, in episode 73, we explored the differences between tone, style and voice. Now, the tone of a piece of writing is its overall mood. It reveals a lot about the writer's attitude to what they're writing about. And if you're going to create a clear and compelling tone in your work, you have to do these things. First, know what mood you want to create in the first place, in the scene and in the overall work. Then think about the kinds of words that will create the mood that you require. Somber words will create a somber tone. Joyful words will create a joyful tone and so on. Secondly, the tone of the passage can also complement the character. The kinds of words that you use to set the tone in a passage can also complement the personality and the overall feel of a character. Thirdly, tone can also influence and be influenced by 
rhythm and pace. Think about structuring your narrative to create the rhythm and pace that you want to achieve. So for example, a fast pace can be achieved by shorter sentences and quick phrases, especially in dialogue. Longer sentences with more detailed construction can slow the pace down. Now, when I talked about style in that episode, I likened it to the way in which writers of an established journal or a newspaper might use a similar approach to all of their writing. And to exploit the best aspects of style in your work, I think you need to do the following things. First of all, learn the good habits of style. The first words of the Economist Style Guide are these. The first requirement of The Economist is that it should be readily understandable. This is a principle that should serve all writers well. And indeed, I think it's the founding principle of style. The style you write in should facilitate the reader's progression through and enjoyment of the story. Style facilitates story. It should help to present your work in a way that is engaging to the reader. Second thing, style can often be refined and improved with editing. In fact, editing is a recurrent theme in this whole dimension of creative writing. Good editing often involves taking words out rather than putting them in and helps us to develop the good habits of clarity, brevity and precision. And we'll come back to those in a moment. And finally, in that episode, we looked at the subject of voice. Now, your writing voice is unique to you. My writing voice is unique to me. It's not tone. It's not style, house or otherwise. It's the most authentic way in which you can express yourself. So to discover and establish your voice, here are the things I think you need to think about. First of all, be patient. It is worth taking the time to discover your voice. It will make you a better writer and editors will take more notice of you. The writer Becky Chambers says this, I had to write the stories that didn't work so that I could then write the stories that did work. And that kind of patience and perseverance allows voice to emerge. Second thing, learn all the other techniques of creative writing so that to some extent they come naturally to you and you can forget about them and then your voice will have room to emerge. Third thing, don't copy someone else's way of writing. Let it come from within you. Fourth, try to understand the kind of writing voice that seems honest to you, that seems comfortable to you, that excites you that makes you enjoy your writing. Fifthly, practice writing in a way that means you forget the way in which you're writing and simply tell the story. Now, in later episodes, we explored some of these issues in a little bit more detail. So in episode 75, for example, we learned that the core principle of style is that it embraces the content of what has been written. It doesn't draw attention to itself. It simply enhances and promotes and presents the story in a seemingly effortless way. To explain this, we looked at three features of style which seem to come up again and again, and these are clarity, brevity and precision. Now, by clarity, we mean being clear in the meaning of what is being said. And by brevity, we mean saying only that which needs to be said. And precision is about using the right words to say it. So to paraphrase those three definitions, the advice here is say what you mean, say only what you mean and use the right words to say it. Let's look very briefly at clarity first. Time making sure that what you're saying is clear is time well spent. It's the hard work of editing and reflection that achieves that seemingly effortless, clear narrative. Simple sentence construction and simple language will often help to achieve this. Brevity is about saying only what you need to say. Ernest Hemingway considered brevity and concision to be the foundations of good work. Precision is about choosing the right words. 
and to assist with this, we should consider the following things. Using active rather than the passive voice. And you can listen to episode nine for a whole lot more detail around what active and passive voice means. Editing out weak and baggy connecting phrases and using strong verbs rather than weak ones that are propped up with an adverb. Now we should note as well that good style is not about just using as few a number of words as possible or deliberately using a very sparse and spare style. We need to use the right words, no more but no less. In episode 76, we moved on from the general principles of clarity and brevity and precision to the more specific issue of the actual sound of writing, with the emphasis on asking simply, how can we make our writing sound better? And we approach this by looking at some of the problems that can spoil the sound of writing, and then some of the solutions that we can use to cure that. So the problems that we discussed were these. First of all, sentence construction and punctuation. If the writing sounds wrong, it's often because there's a problem with the sentence construction. There's nothing subtle or deeply technical about this. A poorly constructed sentence is obvious to most readers and it can bring your otherwise brilliant story to a juddering halt. Sentences can be poorly structured because they are either too long or too short or badly punctuated. As the writer Ursula Le Guin says, Punctuation tells the reader how to hear your writing. That's what it's for. The second problem that we identified was tired idioms and cliches. Now, an idiom is a phrase or expression that has crept into the language as a representation of an idea or another meaning. For example, at the drop of a hat, meaning without hesitation or instantly, or the ball is in your court, meaning it's up to you to make a decision. The problem with these idioms in written communication is that whilst they start out fresh and effective and useful, because of the amount of use that they get, they can become tired and eventually irritating to the reader. A metaphor, meanwhile, is a figure of speech applied in a way which helps to give some sense to what's happening. So, for example, the wheels of justice turn slowly doesn't literally make sense, but we understand what the phrase means. They hung on to every word she said. Again, it's not meant to be taken literally, but we understand what the phrase means. Now, a mixed metaphor is a combination of two different metaphors, the combination being likely to cause some confusion. For example, getting your ducks in a row means getting organised. Singing off the same sheet means a group of people uniting and working together around a purpose. But getting your ducks to sing off the same sheet might be quite amusing, but it's likely to confuse the reader. The third thing we looked at was baggy connecting phrases. Now this is a real problem for people who write a lot in their business lives. It's easy for us to end up using waffly baggy phrases which could either be cut or replaced by a single word. Phrases like it should be apparent that are usually redundant. Phrases like in order to solve this problem instead of just simply to solve this problem. Using phrases like in the first place instead of perhaps firstly or by the same token, which is usually a completely redundant phrase. Now, the other problem that we looked at in this episode was repeated words and echoes. If you use the same word in a sentence twice or the same word in consecutive sentence sometimes, the repetition can sound awkward. So we discussed the fact that resolving all these issues was mainly about good editing. The solutions we identified were these. First, believe in editing. The first thing you must know is that it is worth editing. It's going to be relevant and essential and occasionally painful, but ultimately rewarding. The second thing we talked about linked to that is that the main activity of editing is cutting out the stuff that should not be there. It's painful, but it's essential. To quote the literary agent Noah Lukeman, most sound problems 
can be fixed by simple cutting. The third thing we discussed was a fantastic technique, which is just to read the manuscript aloud. Now, I appreciate most people don't want to hear themselves reading their own unedited work. It's embarrassing and arduous, and quite often it's quite difficult to find a space in which you can read your own work out loud. But if you can find it and do it, the rewards are significant, because there are aspects to the sound of writing that can be much better detected when the words are spoken than when they're simply read silently. And these rewards can come in the form of spotting mistakes in sentences, repetitions, turns of phrase that are definitely on the turn, a stray repeated word, anything like that. But there are also benefits that come from reading a longer passage of your work. This will give you an insight into your voice, especially if you're writing something which is beginning to evidence that voice. The fourth thing we talked about in this episode in terms of solutions was get someone else to look at your work. If you have read and reread your work and you've taken it as far as you can, you might now benefit from having someone else look at it. You can give your work to a friend or family member. They're likely to be quite amenable, at least to start with, but they're not likely to give you an honest response, either because they don't have the technical ability to do that or because they don't want to upset your feelings or maybe both. A better bet is a reading group or a close friend who you know has got some writing competency. It's best to do this once you've got your work into as good a state as you can. And the other alternative then is to get work critiqued professionally. Now, I'm quite a strong advocate of this practice. Do your best to make your work as good as it possibly can be, and then use the services of a professional editor to take it to the next level. Final bit of advice that we looked at in that episode was leave it to mature. There's a benefit that you can get from just taking your manuscript that you focused on and worked on so hard and just putting it away for a while and letting it rest. If you put the manuscript away for at least a few days, maybe a few weeks, when you come back to it, you'll have a fresh perspective, which will be really useful as you try to understand the quality of your work. So these are all the practical ideas that we explored within the whole dimension of the sound of writing. And the key things I think in this area are, one, use tone to complement the passage that you're working on. Two, be clear and precise in your style. Say what you mean, say only what you mean, and use the right words to say it. The style of your work should focus on the content and promote the content rather than itself. Three, use thoughtful editing to cut the unnecessary words from your work. Not because cutting words is an end in itself, but because it means that you're making the prose more clear, more precise, and probably you're bringing out your authentic voice. And fourth, on the subject of voice, be patient with yourself. When it comes to developing your voice, take time to let your worries about the other dimensions of writing abate so that your voice can come through. Try to write in a voice which seems most enjoyable to you, most honest, most exciting. So that's all from this episode. I hope this has been useful to you. Today I have quoted from Lee Harris, who's a senior editor at Tor.com, the writer Joe Story, Bailey's Prize and Arthur C. Clarke nominee Becky Chambers, Solutions for Writers by Sol Stein, published by Souvenir Press, The Economist Style Guide from The Economist, Steering the Craft by Ursula Le Guin, published by Mariner, and The First Five Pages by Noah Lukeman, published by Oxford University Press. I'll get some show notes up on Pinterest for this episode. As ever, please do drop me a line if you want to. It's andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com. And please do check out the Creative Writers Toolbox Handbook campaign. That's at indiegogo.com. Just go there and look up the Creative Writers Toolbox Handbook. So until next time, thank you again for all of your support and goodbye. (music) 